Welcome back. If you're hearing that, you're back in with the Woodsman Perspective Podcast, and uh, we're glad you joined us again. Um, we're, we're talking about something neat this week, and if you're in the, in, the hunting, in the hunting sphere at all, as you start to phase out of maybe your deer hunting, you're wrapping your deer hunting up, and you just gave up on ducks a few weeks ago probably, uh, you're starting to think that, that gears are starting to shift towards turkeys, and early season preseason turkey all the buzz is is really around trapping right now trapping and then burning there's all those we sort of start to shift gears into turkeys and, that, and that's where the that's where the focus seems to be these days wouldn't you say Mitt? yeah this this is fastly approaching one of my favorite times of the year um we got deer hunting about to check out so if you hadn't killed your target buck you're probably not going to chris that's right. And, uh, if uh, and if, if if you have you already killed him, you probably yeah. ready to for it to check out one so, or two more sausage right. deer. You got to so, kill. Uh, right. So your neighbors won't kill the one you want to save. Ain't no doubt. But now February one starts in my mind. It starts twenty twenty three from a wildlife management standpoint and and, and the new hunting season. And yeah. So when that year rolls over, the, 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 the hunting yep. year that season, and I wondered about that too. What's that demarcation? Sort of like a fiscal year yep. or, or a calendar year? So well, the hunt well, those, year February one. If you've been doing it right, those checklists that you've made that you made winter, sitting in that stand. That's right. This is when it starts. That's right. February one. It's and so that that time between um, deer season closing and then turkey season opening is. Which really is, is probably one of my favorite times March of year. March 15th for us, I think. That's right. Turkey That's season. right. So we get, you know, prescribed fire season, and then uh, one of my favorite, the trapping season. Yeah, I was going to say, before, that, before we get die, that cold whole steel hog, out. whole hog to turkey, there's there's most people got that honeydew list to do and and that trapping. Yep. Yeah, that that's sort of in there with those honeydews, those things you know you got to get done. You got a window here to knock it yep. out. That's right. But, you know, a lot of people hear and read about trapping on social media. But they're that they don't really know how to trap. They they see look, it's more than sticking that box trap, putting that putting them funions in the back of it. Well, I would uh, put me and you in that group that really don't know much. Yeah, they're, they're the ones with the funions so, in the back of the <laughs> back right of the box. I'm the ones now. with the with hitting the Dollar General I, yeah, for a can of sardines. So I've got the sardines and and, yeah. and the box so, trap. So luckily we got Mitt and 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 Mitt knew. He knew what he had with me and Chris here, so he brought in some guns. Brought in a, a heavy hitter, <laughs> yeah. So we we're going. I've invited a, a, a good close friend of mine named Chip Davis. Um, where I met Chip was uh, from from farming over there in, in the Mississippi Delta. Um, since he's he's done a lot of things, but the ones that that I'm more more interested in than anything, what he brings to the table today is his trapping experience, and not just trapping experience. But his exposure from a political, social, uh, just all-around theoretical approach to, to trapping, he's got a wealth of knowledge. I mean, um, he's two-time past president of the Mississippi Trapper Association, sits on the board at the national level. Um, so just a, a plethora of information. And, so he's and, not just toting a bucket. That's right. I mean, that's right. He's not just putting out the steel. He, he's, I got you. you know, talking about policy and, and you know, the, 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 the bigger picture at the 10,000-foot view of what – what's going on and trapping and he got his finger on the pole and that's good because look and i don't want to take up any more in his time but there's a lot of misconceptions there's a lot of back and forth on trapping and how impactful it is and, right. and, and it's gotten and and it's just like i would guess it's just like anything else when it takes when it gets that popularity in social media real fast you get a lot of bad or bad, bad information or mixed information or mixed signals and, and a lot of people out there running around like i would be i guess Right. Not really knowing what they're doing and, and probably confused about how impactful what they're doing is. Yep, yep. So with that, have we got uh have we got Chip on online? Chip, I can think, you hear I us? Think he's there. 
Yeah, I'm here, guys. I appreciate that. I feel like I may have been over introduced right there, but uh, I'm I'm just uh, I'm just a regular redneck country boy that loves to to catch tr- critters and uh, and and chase chase game as just like anybody else. So Chip is uh is is got one accomplishment that's that's fairly recent. Um, Chip just finished his uh his turkey forty nine really got the forty ninth last year, and. Uh, and I don't think you're quitting right there, are you, Chip? We talked earlier today that you got you yeah, got another I, bucket list you've already you've Hawaii, already created. Hawaii, he got Hawaii. Yeah, Hawaii's Hawaii's in the forty nine. Okay, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I got a couple a couple more little little um, endeavors to to finish up with. Uh, don't want to say a whole lot about them because it's very 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 limited people that have have done all these. But we, we we'll get you back on. Those. We'll get you back on after you do it, Chip. That's right, for sure. <laughs> No, that's good. So, well, one thing that uh, Chip and I know about you this is this is one of your favorite times of the year too. And what what I'm drawn to um, more than anything is is really talking about trapping as 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 we talk and think about land management. And I know mm-hmm. you're you're a property owner and a landowner and and a passionate wildlife manager. Um, turkeys are your passion, um, just like the rest of us sitting here. And so, anything that you can do. Um, to, to, you know, put more poults on the ground, have more mature gobblers on the landscape, more hens, you know, for nesting and the success that all that brings, you're passionate about it. Um, so that's Absolutely. really where I want to, to talk about is just tell us a little bit about your place and what you've done to develop that. And then kind of the way that you see, and I, I'll pose that as a question and because a lot of the researchers right now are kicking this around is trapping a management tool or is it just a pastime that 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 those of us that like to think about it that way you know participated in in, in such a way so that's that's i'm gonna kick that off to you and just give you a let you introduce you and your place and what you've done and um get us kicked off here sure i appreciate that um so yeah i started trapping in 1984 and i think i've trapped every year since then uh all the way up till you know current current uh current year um and so along the way i've kind of stumbled on a few things uh not necessarily a great trapper but i sure do i sure do love it and i sure do uh sure do enjoy it the way i look at trapping is almost multifaceted uh for me because i've been doing it so long and it's somewhat ingrained in my blood i, su- I suppose um it is something that's just like, I mean, why do we deer hunt? We deer hunt because we deer hunt. We, we're, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of who we are. It kind of, you know, it's in our fabric. So there's a certain element of that. But to me, the bigger picture is what it offers as a tool. And I absolutely, to answer your, your previous question, is it a, is it a wildlife managed or wildlife resource tool? I think it all absolutely is. It's not, in fairness, it's not the only tool we have. But it's one that may be the most underutilized tool when that's, you know, when predation is a limiting factor. Um, and and we, we'll probably get into some of that, but but uh, there's absolutely, you know, some concrete evidence on the ground where that helps. And we can talk about that as we move forward. But, uh, but yes, I absolutely do believe that trapping is one of many, just like prescribed uh, fire, just like uh, food plot management, just like habitat management, other other different things. It's a tool just like, you know, the toolbox of our truck may have a hammer and a screwdriver and, and a set of wrenches and a socket. And, and when you need each individual tool, there's nothing that'll take its place. That's kind of my view on trapping as well, is when you need that tool, 
there's I, I'm not aware of anything else uh, that will remotely take its place. Yeah. So, you know, when I when I think about Chip, I know you, you and I both um, participated in that uh, turkey symposium down in Jackson last year. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if and Brett, you weren't there, but if you'd have walked in there not knowing anything about anything and, and Chip, I want you to weigh in on this, too. I mean, you'd have left there really depressed. I mean that I've heard that. From, yeah, that from we, other people. we the turkey population is doomed. We're it, it's you know it's it's at a spot where it, you know it, it's in a dismal place. We don't understand why um, all the negative things. But there were a handful of people, and it started reverberating within the conversation as it moved on. That you know, hey, don't put me in that box. My place or and and the the area that I represent. <laughs> We've got we've have a good turkey population as we've had in years, yeah. And you saw that sprinkling around the room, although they they weren't a lot of them. But I just know the circles that that I run in, I've got several of those experiences. I'm I, my my place for one, Chip. I know Chris's place. Even the last two or three years, we're seeing an increase in our turkey population, and so and we all trap. And I'm certainly not naive enough to say that it, it goes to, to the trapping, but it's what I learned from that 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 take home that symposium. It just like Chip said, it is a tool in the toolbox, and when you identify that as as a factor that could be limiting, we can absolutely make a difference at a local level that is, if, is real. If everybody gets on board, well, even you know, you know, one thing that that some of the the, the researchers will, will take and some of the and I'm not going to say they're critical of it, but they're pretty cold on, hey, I can go in and increase my turkey population if I, if I, if I trap. You know, I may not can, can change the difference in, in South Lowndes County, but I can absolutely have that as a tool where I can make a difference on my track and my neighbor's track. Yeah, you can impact the neighborhood, maybe not the state, but you can impact the neighborhood. That's right. And Chip, you've got some personal experience with that on your track. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've kind of, watched it grow um so i do compare notes um just for the listeners there to my knowledge about six of us um around and and i don't i don't have dialect with all six of them some of them i do some of them are you know mitt does mitt and i talk at least weekly sometimes multiple times a week and um just different things that we're doing uh we're primarily talking about about wild turkeys but the same thing could apply if you're talking about any other wildlife species whether that be quail or squirrels or rabbits or white-tailed deer or waterfowl or anything else but our passion that we talk about so much is turkey management and that is one of the ones that i think trapping is imperative as having one of those tools you know one of those bullets to shoot with uh you know without that there'd be holes in our program, I think. And so on this particular property where I live, uh, we had just, you know, a few turkeys around. We probably could have been in that category that uh, that we met about at the symposium last uh, February, I believe, March sometime, I believe it's February. Um, we absolutely could have been one of those had we not taken some steps and, and, and made some significant changes when I bought this property. So I've been here for about six years and uh and it wasn't just trapping certainly that was the because i'm a trapper that was one of the first things that i did i came here and and you couldn't you couldn't walk for stepping on a bobcat um they were just you know our we our our predator population was out the roof um you know and our 
turkey population was at minimal levels. We did have a few. You could hear a turkey from the property most of the time on a good morning, but you seldom had a turkey on the property. So not only did we use trapping, we, um, you know, I, I kind of leaned on on Mitt's uh, agronomic background. Uh, we worked together professionally uh, in the agriculture world. And and uh, that's one thing he absolutely brought to the table, kind of almost sort of just using this, this term tongue in cheek as payment for that. I kind of brought the trapping tool um, that I had a little a bit of exp uh, expertise in. And so we compared notes there. At the meantime, I took what he was, you know, what Mitt was telling me about, you know, you need to look at these fertility levels. You need to look at your pH. Why don't you try this type of clover? What, have you ever thought about summertime food plots for turkeys? Have you ever, ever thought about this? And at the same time, you know, we, we were say, well, you know, Raccoons, 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 possums, possums, skunks, skunks. Is there anything else? Yeah, a lot of people miss this. The bobcats, I'm just kind of using some examples of kind of how, you know, quick overview of how that conversation went in the early days, five, six years ago. You know, a lot of people miss that the bobcat, I think, in my opinion, is predator number one to a to wild turkey. The bobcat, you know, he'll take out a poult, he'll take out a grown turkey, he'll take out a gobbler. You know, he's patient enough, he can lay in wait farm he's just he's an apex predator yeah, apex hunter. he's a stone in, killer in, in the woods yeah. absolutely um probably the least while we're on that and just i don't want to spend a long time there but i will touch on um coats i think coats may get a handful i don't think it's just a ton um and then you do have the nest the nest predation complex i call it and you know you're looking at to some degree gray fox but uh but and they do get the shares, but and these are just what you can control as fur bearers. Your raccoons are, are absolutely a, a major, major threat during that you know month to six week time period when we have you know any number of hens sitting on on the nest, you know, or maybe even two month time period. Um, and and that still may not even be enough, but that's when the threat, you know, in the middle or late January, a raccoon is not really a threat to a wild turkey in today's in, on today's calendar you know we fast forward this a few months and he's absolutely going to be a serious threat to uh you know to a turkey and and i don't, I don't want to just keep this all about turkeys because trapping is very right. important across the you know across the whole gamut of what we love to do um and so maybe i'll even bring in a study that's actually um uh confirmed I'm not sure where the original study was done but there's a confirmation of that that a uh, coyote will take out 70% of your whitetail phones, 70%, uh, seven out of 10 are eaten by coyotes. It's absolutely their preferred diet. And, you know, in the fawning season, you know, in the early summer. Um, so they're a huge threat. Coyotes, I already said it, or I don't think are as great of a threat on, uh, I think a coyote winds up with turkey feathers in his mouth more than he has, more than he does turkeys in his mouth. The turkey's a little bit more agile. Um, other things to think about that we cannot control in, in back to the to the turkeys, but you know, there's other predators out there. Snakes are, are certainly, you know, they take out a, a, a number of, of nests as well. When we were, you know, before I completely got off the nest predators, uh, we, you know, I, I don't have, a, I don't have a secret set for, uh, to, for catching rattlesnakes. So, uh, <laughs> well, but, I'm, but yeah, so I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Chip. And you talked about what your place was before. And we, we, we keep going to turkeys because turkeys is a good natural way that we can measure the success of things that we're doing. Well, that and turkeys have put trapping more in the spotlight recently than That's any right. other thing. That's the, right. The, the, the 
popularity or the, the talk of the turkey decline has put trapping in, and in, a, in a everyday conversation. No doubt. That's brought and so that's just a natural forefront. thing that we're going to use to measure the success. And so I, I probably didn't appreciate this maybe four or five years ago like I do today, but turkeys will absolutely respond to management. No question. They will absolutely respond to management. Let me and tell so, you what they will do. They'll respond to trapping. No, that's right. And so that's where I want Chip to talk a little bit about it. And Chip, I don't know if your neighbor's a listener of ours. I would bet he's not. But uh, let's assume that he's not. So feel free to tell us what uh, what you're seeing on your place. Because I want, I want the listeners to have the confidence that you have. And I've got the same success story you have. So does Chris. And what you started with to where you uh, are today in just using the turkeys as the measuring stick. Right. Sure. Well, I kind of briefly touched on where we started from. You know, we we had a few turkeys around and, um, and of course, we, we cleaned up the predators. That was step number one. At the same time, we also increased habitat. Um, you know, I had um, uh, some yellow iron in here and we did some substantial work there. Uh, you know, we created corridors throughout the property. We, you know, we have four season food plots just for them. But we, I keep going back to we hammered the the predators. I mentioned earlier that you couldn't walk on this place without stepping on a bobcat track. I've not caught a bobcat here in three years now, and I've not seen a track in three years. Uh, they're just non-existent. But that's one he species. Is a good trapper. No. He is a good trapper, isn't he? <laughs> but that's one species that you can really hurt. Um, you know, you take a species like a raccoon, per se, and, and there's so many on the landscape that when you take out this 20 there's another 20 that's going to come it's not quite the case and also you got to look at the reproductive habits of them so let's actually just compare coyotes and bobcats a coyote has a litter of you know eight to ten pups on average you know six to ten maybe is a better number a bobcat usually is only going to produce two to three kittens per litter uh, the numbers are much, much smaller. The home range is also much, much smaller. So you can literally make really, really good headway with your bobcats, which goes hand in hand. This is maybe luck, but that also happens to be the apex predator against a turkey is a bobcat. Mm -hmm. So I'll take that trade off no and doubt. I can hurt my cats. And so those are some of the things we did. Now, what's the fruition of that? What have we seen? We've gone to where our turkey numbers are crazy. Um, Let's just not talk about adult turkeys and their ways that we quantify this, especially the modern era where we got game cameras and cell phone cameras and different things and, and identifying uh, habit, uh, factors of each individual hen. And we, and we I literally keep a notebook. And I can say, and, and, and I, I hate even using these words because this sounds like it's so high, but I promise you this is the truth. The last two seasons – Last spring, well, let me say this, spring of 2021, we had a couple in excess of 100 poults. And spring of 22, we had a couple shy of 100 poults, new poults introduced to this farm that's only 330 acres. That's what I was just fixing to say. I'm glad you clarified that because you measured Chip's farm in hundreds of acres, not thousands. And so right. I know farms right. that are measured in thousands that don't have that type of, of, of you know, poll success stories. Question. You know, Chip, my, <clears throat> this is Chris, my, I've toned, I've gone to timing of, of, of trapping, 
So what I've tried to do, and it's worked good for me in the past, is I try to trap during the mating season for the turkeys and the nesting season. I try to kill them then, but you know, and it may be I may be short short sighted, but what I'm trying to do is locally, like you said, you kill twenty twenty comes back. If I can kill them fast enough and just long enough for them to have their babies, I've set them. I've set them in tone and give them a better. You know, give them a better, um, give them a better way to you know to move forward. Yeah, you improve that That's nest right. success. That, yeah, at nest success, and, and trap them at that key time when they're nesting. And what people don't understand, something: if you can get three to four hens to have a good clutch, man, you you've set the tone for your place for the next three or four years. So maybe ask a I little would, different way, Chip. Is well, are let, there, let me, are there let me, different let me just species? Throw a little caution to to what Chris said, and and also maybe a little advice to all of our listeners. Um, we do, in fact, have a trapping season in Mississippi, uh, and, and that does come with some regulations and that sort of thing. And those are there in place. Uh, they're literally for the you know for the ethical and and humane way to trap. Um, and those are the laws that are on the books now. There's been a lot of discussions about cha- making changes, but right now we have a very very liberal trapping season. Um, and kind of go back to the old adage: When's the best time to go fishing? Is, is whenever you can when go fishing. Biting. Yeah, that, that, that's right. So, so when's the best time to trap? You can, you know, at, at any time that you're taking those predators out, that's one less predator that you have. Um, now, having said that, I too like to concentrate right toward the tail end of the trapping season. Um, you right. know, and those those regs are all published. Um, and you know, on my own farms, uh, especially, um, you know, I, I do some some trapping for hire on different places, but I always try to keep, you know, a specific time, which is typically later in the trapping season, uh, you know, usually late February, um, you know, through early March kind of stuff. Yeah, and I was and, talking um, about March. I was, you know, trapping in March is right. what I was talking mm-hmm. about. Right. So are you are you seeing that that species dependent chip on the ones that I want to, to overlay the trapping time as close as I can to the nest time of the, we're talking about turkeys or maybe fawning season or whatever mm-hmm. that is, um, is, are you see that being species dependent? Um, you know, like bobcats, for example, with their reproduction rate. I mean, it seems like you take one of those out, and it's really not going to be in one way or mm-hmm. the other. Uh, the time you trap it to your success on taking him out of the system. Yeah, if you trap right. if you trap bobcats in December, what's that do for fawning success when they're hitting the ground right. in July, August, you know, August, September versus a coyote mm-hmm. or a coon? So, so if you know you know this, Chip, you can you can smoke a lot of predators in a two week time if you put enough traps out. Correct? Mm-hmm. You can, you can. But so, the, I think the better the better theory on there. Um, I go back to um, uh, our turkey biologist Adam Butler statewide uh, was he he did a field visit here back in the summer. And so, um, you know, I just kind of showed him what we had done and, and, you know, we were just kind of, kind of comparing notes is what we were doing in the process of that we, you know, I'm in the hill section of, of the state. Um, and so we have a lot of creeks, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, watershed, uh, around and we were crossing these creeks and, and I just kind of noticed that after the second or third one, we probably crossed four or five, uh, I, you couldn't, you couldn't find a raccoon track. And, and this is in the summertime, you know, and, and now I hadn't set a trap since trapping season, you know, but I will typically hit them two or three times throughout the year. Usually I have the itch as soon as the weather turns cold, go, you know, catch some fur. Um, maybe not the most ideal time as far as marketability of the fur, 
but you know trapping season is in so i hit them pretty hard then i'll come back typically through the holidays i usually got a little bit more downtime then i'll hit them again here again you're you're about two months apart from those two time periods and then i'll hit them again really really hard and through a you know doing that in a planned kind of uh you know just kind of like you know, you were saying uh, uh, the calendar, you know, what, what, what's the, what's February the 1st? It starts mm-hmm. next year's hunting seasons. You know, it starts your, your management plans in place. When you start doing that and you kind of work it off the clock like that and you hit them two or three different times, it only t- and you do this every year, within two or three or four years, you're making some huge headway. Yeah. Um, and, and so one thing, one term that, that I'm hearing a lot, thrown around especially in the research community is compensatory mortality and also uh, compensatory uh, reproduction you hear both those talked about a lot when you talk about trapping and sort of devaluing the impact it's it's almost way. sounds like it's it's a devaluing of the impact and i don't think you'd necessarily get any of the researchers to say it like we're saying but the way that i feel like it, it's coming across is if a, a fox doesn't get that clutch of turkeys, disease will. Or if that raccoon doesn't tear up that nest, that that owl will, will catch them, you know, at, at night after they hatch. I mean, so that that compensatory mortality, the, the way that I'm thinking about it, and where I have a hard time getting that right in my own head, is because the success I've seen on my uh, on my place is that if if I let enough through gate A, that's more that can at least get to gate B. Yeah, no question. And so it's it's a it's a cumulative effect. And so that's the way that I'm thinking about it. Uh, and it seems like that's, that's somewhat contradictory to the way that some of the researchers are describing our efforts toward you know trapping predatory uh, species on our tracks. Well, and the other thing is, all we can do is what we can do. You know. I can't control the compensatory component of that. I can control a raccoon as he walks up and down a creek. And I can control them in January the same as I can in September, the same as I can in November. Uh, and that's one less there. I can't control that hoot out on the, the, that swoops down and grabs one off a, off a, a roost in, you know, in late July. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I can do only what I can do. And I won't, I don't want to be, I won't, do not want to be found guilty of not doing my job when I have the opportunity to do it. Right. And so if you're doing everything else right, and, and the, 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 a lot of our listeners and, and, the, and the circles that we run in, I mean, people are passionate about land management. Yeah, doing there's, everything. Some, there's something that'll help. They Most want of the people it, we they know want they, want, they want that and they're going to do it. That's right. And so the, the, the part that's interesting to talk to me because the guys that, 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 that run in our circles. I mean, they're busy people. We're all, we're all very busy people. And so it's about energy in or said a better way is the juice worth the squeeze. And so when you talk about trapping, particularly, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of work, it's a lot of time. It does take a lot of time. Yeah. And so is when somebody's trying to, to make that decision in their mind is I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on, on land management. Is that, is that juice worth the squeeze? And, and again, we got a lot of anecdotal type evidence that would support that. I think so. And, you know, Chip, I'm not a trapper, but I'm smart enough to know some trappers. And I hire them to come down. I hire them one month. They'll, they'll start. 
at the end of January, and I let them trap all the way through the with like the fifteenth of of March, so mm-hmm. month month and a half, and and that's the way I use them, you know, because I don't trap, but uh, right, you know, it it's it it's worked out great for me. I mean, they'll catch you know they'll catch fifty seventy five, and and five or six seven coyotes. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't. I don't personally have a lot of bobcats, but I can tell you, you're right. I've watched them. I've personally watched bobcats, and Mitt was there. We had some. We had some. Uh, we had a hen that had about seven or eight uh, poles, and and a cat smoked them, and and took. I know killed two of them. Just killed them. I mean, killed the poles, mm-hmm. and 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 we run the cat off. You know, uh, but it was right. pretty neat to you know to see them. But but they're they're killers. And, right, and the only reason they didn't kill the mama because she got out of there. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're natural born well, killers. Brent, I will uh, mention this real quick. Um, while one of the accomplishments that uh, my team uh, were able to achieve when I was president of the Mississippi Trappers Association, uh, obviously we have a website, um, which I believe is simply Mississippi Trappers Association dot com. I think that is it. I'll um, look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, please do. And we have a section on there called find a trapper and we have some of the best trappers in the state of Mississippi as there are in the nation. Uh, it's, it's a really, it sounds paradoxical to say because there's trapping is, does not have the heritage down anywhere down South, but especially in Mississippi as it does, uh, you know, North of the Mason Dixon line, the, the central populace of, trappers uh the highest population of trappers typically is going to be in the upper midwest region you know the michigans the um the ohio's the um you know the the upstate new york's all the way back over illinois still you know has quite a bit but right through that area of the country trapping is much much more prevalent the guys that are here that have been doing it for so long have really the, the numbers that they put up are, are outstanding and we've got some excellent trappers uh here and so that's one thing that we did to try to kind of liaison between the trappers association and and you know these guys are needing places to trap they're needing you know they they trap far higher a lot of them do um and so we just tried to make that an outlet where the average ordinary landowner would have access to them and so there's there's names scattered all across the state under that uh that's find a great a resource for yeah, landowners sure is. yeah absolutely hey chip let me ask you this you know i'm a i'm a timber man i'm the timber man of the group and and you, you can't talk timber until you talk about beavers and mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. you know beavers are there's no telling how many millions of dollars in lost revenue off of timber <clears throat> as far as changing land that was naturally dry converting it to wetlands and that ain't what you want to you know what you don't want right. to get into and uh do y'all do a lot you know beavers are a used to be pretty strong for the pelts and different things but um you know the beavers are are, are you know they're they're a damage you know they're not eating they're not eating our predators but they're gonna tell you what they're doing they're eating up our habitat Absolutely, and, and you know you can have you know this. You're a, you're a duck hunter. You like them, but you take a good bottomland hardwood. You let a beaver get in there for two or three years. Guess what? That bottomland hardwood just become dead timber in a slough, and somebody's right. having to clean it up. Exactly. And, and if they get in there bad enough, you can't never clean it up. I mean, they can you're, just you're, literally destroy it. And um, but uh, you know that's another you know talking about trapping, just not the predators, but even just you know pest 
you that's know, another utilization of trappings. Right. right. That's right. Right. You know I mean? Absolutely. And I would say that, that the beaver piece of trapping as a whole is probably 50 percent. Um, you know, I'm just talking about around the, the whole country. Right. Because uh, well, there's dollars. Say, it's, it's easier to quantify oh, the yeah. dollar impact of beaver and timber damage than it is turkey. Is that right. fair to no, say? Right. I ain't no question. You talk about the southeast. You know, we have the most private land owned in the United States is in the southeast. I mean, so you talking about damaging timber. I mean, we're getting, I mean, it's wearing us out, you know. So, Chip, I want you to finish that uh, that thought that you had on on, on beavers and, and the damage and, and trapping them. Yeah, they're all absolutely, a, um, you know, I mean, when you talk about trapping, you talk about so many different species and so many different things. Uh, there's a lot of guys out there that run a multi-species line. Um, in general, I think what I was, you know, the point that I was um, finishing up there was uh, if you had to separate them all out, you know, from red fox to gray fox to to mink to beaver to coyotes to bobcats to you name it, it everything that we trap, I'm going to say a, a beaver probably holds 50% of that market share. Wow. Uh, there's more people a- around the country um, and, and even down south as well that trap beaver than it is anything else probably. Yeah, I, I figure that. Yeah. I mean, the, the wetlands... It is so hard, Chip, now that, that any kind of economic development or anything, a beaver gets in a ditch. They create next a wetland. Next thing you know it, we're having to mitigate wetlands. And, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and a guy tells you, man, that ditch, it, it was never, I mean, it just started five, six, seven years ago. Well, I think it comes right. down to a bobcat can fit in the category out of sight, out of mind. A beaver's exactly. not so much. That's correct. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. So when you're, when you're thinking about, you know, either getting started in trapping or identifying the places, Chip, that I can make the biggest impact in trapping. Speak a little bit about whether I'm, I'm, I'm new or want to maybe think about the efforts that I'm spending from, you know, the resources that I'm committing, whether it be time and money and the impact that I can. Talk a little bit about the species, um, the way that I maybe would assess my property um, on deciding how I can get the biggest bang for the buck. Okay. Let's do that almost as two questions because you kind of asked two. One, if I was getting started, what, you know, what species would I choose? And number two, as you look at it from a land management standpoint, you know, what would I choose to target? So let's take, take the beginner part first. Um, there are certain species that are just easier to catch than other spe- species. Um, so for instance, uh, a possum, a uh, uh, raccoon, uh, a bobcat all kind of fall into they're not really bothered. They're not phobic about smells, about, you know, olfactory does not drive those. Uh, they, you know, can you attract them with, with lure and bait? Absolutely you can, but they're not afraid. Also, as far as eyesight, they're just a somewhat of a bold, and, and I don't mean bold like, a cat's a killer and, uh, and, you know, and coons are soft and cuddly. I, I'm saying, and I'm not talking about their, their hunting prowess or, or, you know, how much predation they can, they can, uh, be responsible for. What I'm talking about is how phobic they are. And none of those three are really that phobic. All three of those are really, really good entry level into trapping. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. with the tools that we have, I'm speaking of DPs uh, with boxes that Mitt's real familiar with, uh, um, uh, 
and then of course body grip traps of course uh on top of that leg hole traps um different things raccoons possums and bobcats are relatively easy to catch they're not afraid of their shadow you don't have to be quite as clean as you do other species now let's talk about fox and coyotes a coyote is just absolutely phobic he is tough 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 to catch at least to learn how where i see the progression and i'll be very brief on this um, I, I teach coyote instruction, which is literally one-on-one ride along, um, and, and I've done quite a bit of that in the past. And a lot of those have been people that just want, they had a coyote problem. They wanted to learn how to catch coyotes. And so that was their first educational step was to do some ride alongs and, and that sort of thing. And so I'd take them for about three days and, and, and I'd get them started. And typically how that goes the next year after they learn from whatever means and we can go into that how a guy would get started learning but whatever means it is in this particular case is right along with me and then the next year he starts he takes what he's learned there he takes what he's learned from other people he takes what he you know what he's learned from a lot of different resources and he typically catches one or two and then the next year rolls around and all of a sudden he catches 12 15 18 the next year rolls around and he's catching 90 to 100 and he and he plateaus out there every year so there's a there's a a somewhat of a learning curve between your keener species like a a coyote and to some degree fox than it is your less keen species like a raccoon or a bobcat or a possum or other other animals and beaver would probably come somewhere right in the middle of that so is that, does that answer it, that it, question it does, a little bit? It does. But then, you know, the, the time that we're committing, say I've got a day job and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and I, it, it, it's a lot of effort for me to, to, you know, spend that much time on trapping. Where do I need to spend my time? Where do I need to, and how do I assess my property in that regard to make sure that I'm, I'm spending my time in the appropriate place? Okay. So we kind of touched on this a little earlier too, when we were talking about turkey management and in uh, the most limiting factors. So, what what if I if I've got a trap line, I've got limited time, limited resource to, to put this on. I want to look at what across this landscape is is my most limiting factor. If if my passion is whitetail deer hunting, and I feel like I'm losing seventy, I, I believe the studies, the scientific research that has been completed, I believe that I'm losing seventy percent of my phones. Then I want to learn coyotes. That's what I want to do. I, I want I want to be able to to fix my most limiting resource once that is fixed and i don't know that you ever completely fix it when you're talking about predation because you always have some degree of management to come back on as far as to keeping your numbers at, at a you know acceptable level then you want to look at your next most limiting uh, factor and you want to fix that one so it could be multifaceted now which ones lend themselves to the weekend weekend trapping? And you know, we do have check laws in Mississippi and almost every state. Now they could be quite different depending on different parts of the country. There's places out west that have 72 hour check laws and even longer. In Mississippi, we have a uh, 36 hour, I believe, uh, that's recently changed uh, 36 hour check law. So it, uh, ultimately, amounts to every day. You, yeah yeah you should be there and this goes back to the ethical treatment of of what we're you know of these fur bears because sure we harvest everything but you know we harvest white-tailed deer too but we've got certain ways by which we do that you know we don't go out there and beat them with baseball bats so uh you know there's a a way to ethically do that and you don't uh also want to you know you know we, we dispatch we we do that that's all part of what we do 
but we we try to do that as ethically and as, as we can possibly do and and as humanely as we possibly can and we got the tools nowadays on the market that's that's easily done the biggest blatant abuse of that i think is somebody setting a trap you know going to camp on friday night setting a bunch of traps on saturday you know maybe looking at them sunday leave going home and those traps are not looked at again until the next weekend when a guy gets back to camp yeah. that's that's not cool that is um that, that's being a very irresponsible i think and unethical throw them set them you know set them off you know step on the traps come back and reset them the next weekend when you're back there uh make sure you follow the laws because those are just as real laws as as you know duck laws or deer laws or turkey laws or anything else yeah yeah and mid i think sort of Along the lines of what you're asking, what I can see, especially on social media, on the on all the turkey sites and all that, the uh, most of the people that jump into trapping, and I don't, I hate to call it a trend, but jump in the trapping trend, they got low hanging fruit. They're, they're putting traps by their feeder. Yeah, coon cuffs on yeah. corn feeder. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's they know where to start because they've had coons on their cameras all, all sure. winter. And, and there's, I, I see no problem with that, you know, so long as the traps are checked regularly and, and maintained, and I see no problem with that. I don't, just because there's a lot of guys I know that do that, I'll throw a little tidbit out there. That is effective to a degree, but any of these fur bears that we trap, they can get wise, wise up, they can wise up relatively quickly. And so the better angle on that uh, is where that feeder is. That is where the coons are, but where are they coming from? Find the entry in the, you know, the entry in the, in the egress mm-hmm. routes that they're taking. A coon trail is pretty easy it's to easy see. It's easy to see this time see, of year, especially. Yeah, yeah. Once you see it and you know what you're looking at, they, they, they pop out at you. So back up 50, 100, 200 yards even, catch them, you know, catch them on the perimeter. And then, you know, when you can continue to get closer and closer and closer, I would rather go that route than I had to set them all right there. And then, you know, once he sees his, you know, his his buddies getting, you know, getting locked up in that trap, then he's not as likely. They learn quickly. So, he, you know, you can create, you can make them more difficult to catch than they already are, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that's a good catch. Yep. No pun intended there, Brent. Uh, <laughs> well, Tell us, I know your your affiliation with the different associations, the trapping associations, Chip. Tell us a little bit about those and why they're important to us. Yeah, so trapping it is, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about the political and, and um, environment of where we are. There's, there's a lot of people that don't like what we do hunting. There's all, uh, but there's a lot of people. Let's just use deer hunting. There's a lot of people that deer hunt. You know, we've got a pretty good defense against that. There's a lot of people that don't like turkey hunting. There's a lot of people that don't like any outdoor recreational activity whatsoever. But there's enough of us out there doing it that it's a pretty good defense. When you're and so if, when you're talking about the anti outdoors, the anti what we love crowd out there, trapping is the low hanging fruit. That's the easiest one for some of these groups to target. And they do, and they and they are successful. They're just as passionate about their liberal viewpoints as we are about our conservative viewpoints. Uh, and and they are out to outlaw trapping to make it illegal uh, to to do. The same as their ultimately ultimate goal is to change our whole entire way of life. And and you know, and so those are where the associations. That, that's one of the major factors and major places where the associations stand for us. Now, 
There's two major national associations. Just very briefly, you've got Fur Takers of America and National Trappers Association. I'm very, and both of them are great. Both of them do the same thing, and and they you know have different different parts that they, you know, fur takers is typically a little bit more on the educational side, where NTA is typically more on the legislative, legislative and lobbying side. Um, and so the threat levels from the national, just to, just to throw a couple quick ones out there, there are states that have certain species, um, uh, the right to trap those taken away. The couple of ways, the real common way is uh, ESA reform and ESA Endangered Species Act. Is what I, what I mean. They will take um, in areas we had some lawsuits that we intervened in and were successful at um, in Maine a couple of years ago, where they had um, they were on the verge of completely outlawed uh, outlawing bobcat trapping because right across the the border in Canada they have lynx species and they define the word take as if you are setting bobcat traps and it, can you well number one the number one argument was on ESA species that are very similar to other species like a bobcat and a lynx, they're very similar. Can you prove and quantify, you know, how, how many incidental? So I'm kind of getting in the weeds on that. But um, the other other big problem with ESA is the definition of take and take did not necessarily mean what you, you know, what you guys and I would perceive the word take means. Yeah, we, we took a deer, we shot a deer and we consumed that deer. We did whatever. No, their definition of take is if you're participating in this sport and you have just say an endangered bird and he's sitting on one limb and you flush that bird and it, you know, non-intentionally and he flew to the next, the next tree or he moved any whatsoever out of his natural realms. You took that bird and they've used that to shut down trapping. That's where the deviation. I deal with takes um, in the power, power business with, with some Raptors. So yeah, I'm familiar with getting the drill. Right. Right. Exactly. So, so those are the type areas that these think that these guys are standing up for you from the next is educational. Uh, there's a lot of things that they do. I'm, I'm going to really talk more about the state level. That's typically where, so in, in, because I was past president of the Mississippi Trappers Association, we got several things going on. We got a trappers college each year that you can come in for a weekend and, and learn the basics. Uh, you know, we've got folks from all ages, from, you know, from, 10 12 years old all the way up to 75 or 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 older you know year old people that come and we literally call it trappers college the weekend of you know we're we're, you know it's really become more of a i know it's the term is college but it's really become more of a uh, entry level this is you know this is what we do this is how we do it these are the tools this is you know this is the method by which we use Um, is that the national association or state that that's 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 Mississippi. That's, okay. That's, yeah. Neat. But most of the state associations have a similar type program. I got you. I know MTA Mississippi Trappers Association is uh, a new thing that they're doing is conducting uh, just one day events all across the state. They're they're I've had a couple of pilot programs in Central Mississippi and South Mississippi. Those were a huge success. Or that we're planning on doing more of those, bringing up to that's North Mississippi, to uh, East Mississippi, different things like that, and. Um, so those are all important, uh, you know, to do. And then, of course, we have uh, annual fur sale each year. We hadn't even touched on trapping heritage as far as the fur and the fur market. And uh, it maybe now I'm kind of running a rabbit trail, but it's real important. I'd, I'd be remiss if we talked about trapping without talking about the fur value. That's how it all started. It was yeah, I had all that in my the, notes because you don't hear it. Yeah. You don't hear trapping and you don't hear the fur reference anymore. It's all about 
you know predator control that's right. but, but that's predator. a big part of it like that's what it used to be i guess mostly it, that's exactly that was all of what it was yeah, yeah it, essentially you know the, the wildlife management part of that has only it's been unintended consequence wasn't it a- absolutely exactly now the fur market for the last decade or more has literally been in the tanks um you know the late 80s was the the you know early 90s was the last year we had one little spike since then that the fur is worth uh you know worth uh, and i'm saying monetary just judging is it even does it even break it it break even from strictly fur sales you know and there's more money than just the fur uh, you know, the castor glands are, are used in, in many different things, uh, perfumes and different things uh, uh, from a beaver. You know, the pelt is worth something. Uh, you know, there is a meat market in certain places, even in our state and across the country for uh, different animals like raccoons. There's a meat market there like like beaver. There's a meat market there as well. So there's a lot of different uses. But fur overwhelmingly historically has, you know, has I mean, I know people that people that I learned from back in the, you know, the early 80s that they paid for houses. They, they you know, they they paid cash money for vehicles through one year's worth of, of catches you know, when they sold their fur. So uh, so that's kind of the big uh change in trapping is is the fur now our, our market is literally gone and it gets to be a a uh geopolitical event too from you know from how our relationship is with russia and with china that's a huge demand that's the end user for a lot of the fur historically was you know as we get along better with those guys or don't get along better with those guys whatever we are whatever administration that indirectly affects the fur market you know um uh so our fur market is literally still in the tanks although um i actually had a phone call this morning uh i'm also auctioneer by trade and i call our annual first sale uh free to the public if you want to stop by us always every single year the last saturday in february at the Italic County Coliseum in Kosciuszko. Uh, there's only one Coliseum there. It's free to come in. You can see what we do. We'll have uh, piles of fur there lined up across the floor and we'll sell them to uh, buyers. Now you do have to be a licensed uh, fur buyer, fur dealer in the state to participate in that auction as far as a buyer side. Mm-hmm. But the only requirement to participate that in the seller side is for you to be a member of, uh, you have to have a trapping license, of course, and to be a member of Mississippi Trappers Association. You can come sell sell your fur there at that event, too. So, uh, you know, so those yeah, are... You say trapping license. I got, I got yeah. attacked a little bit on Facebook, you know, last last year when about this time of year, everyone jumped on Facebook posting the trapping pictures, and uh, I mentioned in one of those comments about purchasing a license. And I just got ripped in the comments. It doesn't matter. They're doing good. They're saving turkeys. Right. I mean, I'm just pointing. I'm trying to keep you out of trouble. You're on Facebook with these right. pictures. Buy a license. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Chip, so, uh, you got your finger on the pulse of, you know, the, the different schools that y'all are doing and all the different associations. How are we recruiting young ones into the sport? I mean, it, is it is that paralleling our hunting industry that we're not doing a good job of, of, of recruiting young ones into the sport? Um, give us give us your thoughts on that. What's the, what's the future of trapping? You know, I could I could speak a few minutes on on both both sides of that coin. 
obviously we always like to see more and more done more recruitment you know more trappers come into the market because you know we you know there's lots of us have businesses inside trapping there's lots of us that want to see it grow there's lots of us that know the benefit the accelerated benefit to wildlife um so you know we always you always want to see something grow that that you're passionate about and that and you know there's if you compare that to how many people go deer hunting for the first time each year it's no comparison you know there we we're we're doing a, a very very poor job of recruiting and recruiting good guys to be the voice the future voices are trapping having said that you do see more and more effort put that way and there's you know there's lots of youth programs nowadays um you know the how efficient they are and how effective i'm, I'm not so sure but uh but yeah there's um it's really hard to draw a parallel between the other recreational passions and trapping um because they're you know if just at arms like this there's the recruitment's not very not very good at all yeah, i feel like trapping's window is small you know we're talking about it right now it's that february window for the most part for the casual hunter that, that probably doesn't consider himself a trapper 11 months out of the year well, I tell you one that, that you recruited, Chip, and I'm talking about he swallowed the treble hook down to his belly, and that's my son, Mitchell. He absolutely <laughs> loves it. If you ask him today, that's one of his favorite outdoor activities. And we, you're talking about the different markets. We have a, a local buyer here in, in Starkville, by chance, that uh, on, on the raccoon specifically is a meat market and, and a little fur <laughs> market that goes along with it. And so right. I, I made a deal with, with Mitchell that if he goes with me to set the traps and then runs them and he's there for, for both times, he gets the, he gets the bounty. And that little <laughs> dude is waking up before daylight and we're not, in case my, my wife's listening, we've never been late for school yet. <laughs> and, uh, and you always make it to Sunday school too. No, no doubt about it. And so what we do is we, we, um, accumulate our catch for the week. And then on Sundays, before Sunday school, we'll meet our buyer in the parking lot of the church parking lot, and Mitchell and, and the buyer will make a trade right there on the tailgate. And uh, right. so about the second <laughs> second Sunday we did that, he told me on the way home, he said, Daddy, I sure could make a lot more money if I didn't have to go to school. So <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's in kindergarten at that time. <laughs> he's running the numbers. Yeah, so you, you, you've – absolutely successfully recruited one chip no doubt well, about I, it I, I, i'm i'm a fan of, of mitch now I, I, uh, mitchell he is uh yeah, yeah i am he, too it's been, it's been it's been a fun fun progression and you know just in the last year or so especially to to see him yeah he's he's a uh he's got what it takes he's for sure. smitten, absolutely no, no doubt about it he's yeah. smitten but you know i think that tur- unfortunately the the turkey decline and, and and as the more and more that gets talked about regardless of where you stand on you know with with some of the biologists that that may minimize the importance of it that has put trapping in the forefront it's, it's got a lot of people talking about it and doing it where they can which I is think, mostly the private landowner private land yep well I, I think our turkeys um the perceived decline i'll put it has put people thinking about trying to identify chip what you touched on what is my limiting factor and i'm willing yeah. to do anything that that is in within my power to start filling some of those those low-hanging fruits yeah and look if so the guy like me and i know some other guys if you're hunting a lease you know you've talked about success on your place success on chris's place if i'm hunting a lease i may not can do a lot of habitat manipulation but i can go trap 
you know so and you hit on it chip you nailed it so that you we can only control what we can control and if i can't go out there with a chainsaw and a bulldozer i can go out there with my four-wheeler and some traps mm-hmm. but brandon and just say in, in one of the clubs you're in you know there's five or six turkey hunters out there you could reach out to them yep. and say hey let's get together let's buy you know 15 traps a piece and let, let's go do some stuff to help you know to help us i help. thought he was going to say if you're in a, a lease club, you know there's five or six corn feeders. I thought that's where he was going. <laughs> well, I was going to say that, but that's the yeah. pictures come later on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chip, is there is there anything that, that we need to ask you that we haven't? Yeah, we uh, don't know any? what we don't know. Yeah, that's so right. we may have missed something <laughs> yeah, real don't, big. Don't let us be ignorant on, uh, on, on anything that we need to know. No, I, I think we I think we covered it. I, I'll I'll say one more thing, and because we have uh, we have quite a few you know new folks getting in in there. Be real sensible of what you do. We we, we all love and and so say you know say you're a brand new trapper and say you do go buy you know 15 new traps on that club that Brent was just talking about and and you're going to be excited when you walk up there to this day. I'm still excited when I got coon coon dancing around the trap when I walk yeah. up there. Even more excited when it's a coyote, but uh, just because I'm a coyote trapper by trade. But uh, but you know if it's on my own place and I finally saw a, a set of a cat tracks and I sit on them and, I, and so yeah I'm excited. And social media I think has become such a terrible enemy of trapping because it, it, it has a lot of very very positives. But be real tasteful of what you put up there. It does yeah. nobody any yes. good. I know you're excited, but it does nobody any good to put bloody, muddy, or you know, or or struggling pictures of selfieing with an animal in a trap. Nobody it, it, likes it, it, to see them confined. Right. I mean, yeah. they don't like it, exactly. Yeah. That's a great Absolutely. point, Chip. Right, and that, that's that's the biggest. I think. Um, maybe self-imposed limitation that new guys, you know fall victim to sometimes and we see that quite a lot we have to police that quite a lot uh, um i know in my times with as mta president we had to deal with that you know obviously we had a facebook page and we just really had to police that quite a bit because that's imagine. not helping anybody right. you know, no, it's, it's, they need to chip what they need to do is put it in their log their their trapping log and and don't put it on yeah, instagram it, move on yeah. it, Nobody cares exactly. that the, they don't need a picture of all twelve dead coons. Yeah, and there's tasteful ways to share That's what right. you're doing. And That's look, I, look, we kind of laugh. I, I get, I get where well, I critique those tailgate deer pictures and all kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of particular about photos anyway. Well, it bothers right. people. Even look, well, I, Chip, I got a deer processing plant, and people will come up here, and 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 every wife that somebody brings up here. They'll get out, ooh. I mean, it just, you know, it bothers people. I mean, yeah. to see dead animals, it bothers them. Well, going back it, to the recruiting of the, of the you know, new people into the sport, I mean, the, the posting the pictures, we're not just speaking to the choir, all right? Mm-hmm. Those of us, we could share those pictures and understand the intent and, mm-hmm. and the, the culture, and that's just part of it. But the people that we're trying to recruit yeah. don't necessarily understand that. Or the people right. that are trying to hurt us, Chip, to your yeah. point, uh, they, exactly. they don't have the same appreciation that we do. And so being well, and that's that, the I biggest thing. I mean, they, they, you know, in defense of animals, HSUS, uh, PETA, they have deep pocketbooks. They come in there. They come at us yearly, annually. I mean, we deal with those guys in court. I mean, we have, you know, federal attorneys that, that deal with, deal with these lawsuits. And when we, when we're not responsible about the posts that we make on social media, you're just handing them ammunition, you know, 
yeah. so, you know, that's that's the all it's all we're doing. We're and they're going to the to the weakest of the links. And and to your point, there's not a lot of trappers. Um, maybe getting weaker. That's a good, easy, vulnerable place that these people with with deep pockets. I mean, they're gonna key in on that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But so. Chip, I've, I've taught my girls that ask me, you know, Daddy, why do you, why are we shooting so many coons? I said, well, look at it like this. Those coons are sweet and cuddly looking when they're on the side of the road or they jumping out of the garbage can. But I said, think about that hen that sat on that nest, you know, for over 30 days. She's hatched out all of those. She's got 10 babies and that coon jumps on her back and, and, and kills her and then kills all the babies. It, it, you look at it different in a different light because that coon is a, you know, he's trying to survive. He's a predator. And, and, and the turkeys that you're trying to save, they're the prey. And, it, and it's just no different than a coyote. Look, everybody loves a fawn because of Bambi. Everybody loves a fawn. And when they love to see a fawn. But you know what? I've never seen nobody say, man, look how pretty that fawn is in that coyote's mouth. He's running down 82. I mean, you right. never hear that but because people don't see it. But it's a reality. Right. But it's a reality. That's right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, that's a lot of good information. Uh, Chip, we appreciate yeah, your time. We do, man. That I was good, Chip. It. That dug in some stuff that, like I said, me and Brent aren't trappers, but we're listeners. And, and, yeah. uh, and I'm right. telling you, y'all well, make you me want to go buy some traps. Do. That's yeah. right. You want to do what we can do. Right. And look, that's, <laughs> I, I'm going to well, put in. I will throw. Go ahead. I'll throw one more tidbit of information out there. One, a, a really, really good cheap or actually cheap is free resource for, to guys that are getting started uh there's also another podcast I've, i host it occasionally um and it is called trappingradio.com is the website and the the podcast is housed there uh under trapping radio um and they've got a couple of versions out i think they outgrew one server and it's trapping radio 2 will take you back to the same spot but if you're interested in anything trapping what we'll do is we'll take an hour sometimes they grow to an hour and 20, 30 minute shows sometimes. And it's about every topic under the sun revolving around trapping. And we may be talking about raccoons one day. We may be talking about bobcats or beaver or any other species another day. I think Mitts, I shared that podcast with him. It's a great resource. It's free. You can type in the search engine um, on the website, on Trapping Radio website, Trapping Radio Beaver, Trapping Radio, what you know, Bobcat, yeah. whatever you're interested in. And you can hear a, you know, a podcast by some really yeah, you know, uh, authorities on that across the nation. There's lots of interviews, lots of interviews with legends. It's it's a lot of different valuable information. It's absolutely 100 percent free. Going yeah. into um, a so lot that, of detail on techniques and and you know mm-hmm. strategy. Um, it's yeah. it's a wealth of knowledge, no All doubt about right. it. I'll make some some notes and I'll put that in that. Look, I really love that that the Mississippi Trappers Association that find a trapper feature. Mm-hmm. That, that's, <laughs> that's good to know. Neat, right? That's yeah. that's good to know. That that's such a resource for a landowner. Uh, you know, sometimes. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. Chip, thanks a lot, buddy. Appreciate you, Chip. Okay, thank you, guys. Thank you, hey, bud. It's been my honor hanging out with you guys. I really enjoyed it a bunch. If I can ever help in any way, y'all let me know. Hey, hey sounds great, buddy. Thank, thank you, Chip. You. Have a good one. Man, that's a lot. That's like drinking from a fire hose, man. There's a lot to trapping. You know, beyond just the guy, just, just day-to-day trapping just the and, and setting and the traps. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, you know. The management side. And he brings a perspective that you don't get a lot. So, so I'm, you know, a lot of, if you're listening to a podcast and you're like us, you're, you're probably active, you're, you're on social media, you're, you're up to date, you're kind of current with all the chatter. And you get a lot of the 
hunter or the guy, the turkey hunter is out there taking it upon himself to do the trapping. But it's it's really it's neat to listen to an expert from the from sort of big picture. That's right. You know, from a philosophical standpoint, from the political standpoint, you know, and and really get in. Somebody's been doing it going on 40 years yeah 1984 yeah i mean he's you know 38 years of trapping and that you know just a lot of information from a from a you know a a sort of an organized standpoint well he's opened my eyes it's much more than just the tools and the techniques i mean there's a lot of things to consider um you know in this in this land all right well look thank y'all for joining us uh it's it's getting we're getting down to the short rows on deer season duck season here in mississippi and in south and and uh so we're shifting that focus Shifting the focus, starting looking at trapping and burning. And, and, and remember the list starts today. into this month. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yep. I mean, that list starts. Yep. So. All right. Well, look, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Woodsman Perspective Podcast. Mm-hmm.